0: It's Christmas. Christmas is here. Are you excited about Christmas? Some of us may be excited. Some of us, maybe that, that there's, there's a, uh, some tenderness there. Maybe there was some tragedy that, that happened in your life. And so we understand it could be on different extremes here, the excited, most excited time of your life, or maybe the most challenging time in your life. Some of us, it could be the most stressful time in our life. We start thinking about setup and, and trying to get gifts and trying not to break our necks as we stand on the ladder trying to put up lights. You know what I'm saying? And so it could be fun, it could be a blast, and then we're always reminded, especially in the church, hey, remember the reason for the season. Let's make sure we put the Christ back in Christmas, right? We hear these slogans all the time: dropping bars, oh, there you go. All right. So and so we want to, yes, we want to do this, but I noticed here, and I, I, us, I was praying and thinking about this, and as we are talking with Daniel about a sermon series here for Christmas, we wanted to identify the God of the Christmas story. We want to go ahead, and that's going to be our sermon series here, is the God of the Christmas story. Because as we embark upon this season, and yes, we can be in all of Jesus or, 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 or Ham or Thanksgiving and presents and all these different things. We want to make sure that we always see God in this story and how God is still prevalent in our lives and how the Christmas story provides such a blessing and a hope for our lives in 2023 and 2024 and beyond. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, we thank you so much. For this chance to have, uh, to look into your word, to be excited about what, about who you are, to learn more about you. God, as I step back and been thinking about the next several weeks, I really am excited to get a chance to, to uh, study more of your word and to take a step back and, and get to know more about you and, and to come closer to you. And I pray, Father, that today we can draw closer to you as we understand you and your character. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to go ahead and call my wife. My wife, Karina, is going to come up on stage here with me today. And so we're going to be looking at, uh, we're gonna, for the next four weeks, we're going to be studying out just the first two chapters of Matthew. And so Matthew is a letter written by one of Jesus' followers. And so he writes this letter, and it's important that we understand and realize that this letter was talking about who Jesus was. It's called The Gospel According to Matthew but it's written to a Jewish audience. So as you read it, you have to understand, you have to know a little bit of Jewish culture to fully grasp all that is there and the treasures that are there in the text. And so this first week, we're going to look at how God is a God of hope. Our God is a God of hope, and we see this in the Christmas story. Let's go ahead and let's get into it. In Matthew chapter 1... We're going to read here Uh, in verse 1. It says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. We'll go ahead and keep going here. In verse uh, 5, it says, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Then it goes on and says a whole bunch of names. And if you read it before, those names can be a little tricky. And so I'm not going to butcher all those names, okay? Okay. So we're going to just breeze through it on your own, and I want you on your own to look this over. But we do want to jump over here to this verse here because we want to see something in this lineage of Jesus. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amen. Then we jump on down to verse. Verse uh, what is it? Uh, 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who, called, who was called the Messiah. Thus, there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, from 14, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Let's stop right there. This is our main text for today. And you're like, how are we going to get a text out of this? But we're going to see the God of hope in Jesus' lineage. We see a God of hope, and so this is to help us out here. This is a, a, the this is all the names that were listed, and this wasn't an exhaustive list. Matthew only he actually took out some names, and for a theological purpose, which is for a different sermon, okay? But he goes and he lists all these names, and he starts off just with Abraham. And now this is important because you're like, why would we have a letter about Jesus and get into his great, 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 all these great grandfathers, some of these names weren't even mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Why are we getting into all this? Again, this is written to a Jewish audience. For the Jews, it was important to know your ancestry because that's your tribe. And so they have meticulous records in the temple that would show you where you came from better than our system that we have today. And so you can see this. So this was important in general for them to know. They had records for this. But here's the key, is that he highlights this. He says, Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham. Now, this is important. Because if you know the, the faith, even Christian faith, but the Jewish faith, there are some key central figures And two, you could argue maybe the biggest figures in the faith was Abraham and David. Father Abraham had many sons. Come on, y'all know that, all right? There you go. If you haven't worked with the kids, please sign up to work with the kids. You can learn that song right there, okay, all right? So Abraham's a father of nations, and so he's really big. And then you have King David. David was really, he wasn't the first king, but he was the best king. All the kings were referred to whether they were good based on what David was like. But here is the key: is that the promised Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one who would redeem God's people, redeem all of creation, had to come through the bloodline of Abraham and David. And so, what's Matthew doing right here? He's letting his audience know, and letting you and I know from the beginning that Jesus is the rightful heir to King David, the Messianic throne, because of his bloodline, but he's also the fulfillment of Abraham being a blessing to all the nations because he comes from his bloodline as well. And so we see something really cool, but we see the markings of a God of hope. You see this ancestry of Jesus here that we go back to. We see this God of hope here. We see this uh, hope And it's really, you see it in several different ways, but you see this creative grace that God has upon his people. And I like that phrase. I read that this week. This creative grace, as you look at this genealogy of people, you go, man, there's a lot of tough names I don't know. That's probably one of your thoughts. But if you look at this, you go, wow, there's some really some huge biblical heroes here. You got Abraham, you have David, uh, you, you have, you know, certain kings that were awesome and they did these great things in Jacob and the patriarchs, but you also have what? Some really wicked and sinful kings in there as well. If you have ever read First or 2 Chronicles or First or Second Kings, most of the kings that are listed here were actually wicked kings as far as when it comes to their faithfulness or unfaithfulness to God. And what they led God's people to but yet who comes through their bloodline the Messiah despite this wickedness you see the Messiah being born then there was these names here I don't know if you caught this or hopefully you did but there was four women that were mentioned and uh, the women that are mentioned are uh, uh, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth and Bathsheba now, if you know their stories, you know that those stories would make the local gossip circles. If you know their stories, you know that would make the, the inside edition uh, that was going on over there. That would make the, the tabloids, if you will. You guys get what I'm saying? And so it's interesting because there's Sarah, there's uh, Rebecca, there's Rachel, there's all these other women that could be mentioned. However, he mentions these four. Huh, Why? Well, there's a number of possible reasons. What's interesting is that these women, at least three, possibly four, were all Gentiles, meaning they were non-Jews. So from the beginning, the Messiah and God's plan was always to include all nations. What's interesting also as well is that, again, there was some scandal through some questionable choices In in, in really all of these situations either a, a sketchy past or questionable decisions which affected their family line. And in some of these cases you could say that they had illegitimate children which sets up for Mary who has an illegitimate child. So Hey, God's people, look, throughout, there's been situations in which God has worked despite what people were doing. And we see this God of hope because he's saying, my will shall be accomplished no matter what. Even if my people go sideways, I'm still going to accomplish my will. And you see this grace. You see, Jesus, you go, wow, Jesus is past here. He's got, some, he's got some people maybe that I don't know if you really want to have a picture of in your family room. <laughs> I'm not sure that's, that's the one you go, yeah, man, Manasseh, that was our great-great-grandfather. Boy, what kind of king was he? And we can have family trees in which we can feel a little bit questionable about. We can maybe feel shame, or we can maybe feel like, oh, man, because of my past, my parents, my grandparents, my, my, my culture, whatever the case may be, and we can think that we can't become something, but God shows us what? It doesn't matter what the history and past was. I can accomplish my will through you because I am a God of hope. You see, God can work in our lives despite our family, our sin, whatever may be a hurdle, because God works regardless. And he is a God of hope. Right now Karina is going to share some more about how God is a God of hope through Jesus's lineage.
1: So one of the, I I just really uh, was in awe this week as I thought about God's people throughout history and the state of hopelessness that they were constantly in over and over again, as I looked at the, as I thought about the genealogy of Jesus, and I thought about the history, I thought about all the adversity that God's people uh, were facing, and the adversity that was threatening to wipe them out, and even as um, we think about the history, and we, you know, Marcel brought up some situations, there was, there were definitely plenty of historically chaotic situations that God's people were facing, and the environment for the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus was unfavorable, to say the least. And so I wanted to go through some of these names that stood out to me, you know, starting with Abraham. Abraham was promised this son that was going to, that he was going to become uh, the father of many nations. And so he was going to bear this son, and yet Sarah was barren, and was barren for a long time. She, that, that didn't seem like a hopeful situation for this father of many nations. And uh, she was 90 years old and uh, laughed at the thought of having a child because she's 90. Um, they didn't actually have their kid until Abraham was, uh, they didn't have Isaac until Abraham was 100 years old. And so I, I thought about that, and I, and I thought about, wow, the God of hope. Um, then we continue in the, in, his, in the genealogy, and we get to Jacob and Esau. And Jacob tricks his father Isaac into giving him Esau's birthright, which means that the lineage of this, this promise, this hope, the lineage is supposed to continue through Jacob. And yet because of his trickery, He has to flee from his brother who's trying to kill him and is gone from his family away for 20 years. Again, doesn't seem like it's looking good for for this lineage, and yet God is working. I thought about Jacob and his sons. You know, the sons are supposed to become the people of Israel, and yet they almost die in a famine. They have to travel to Egypt uh, they have to travel to just get grain. They, they go, and if you know the story of Joseph, Joseph brings them over uh, to Egypt just so they can survive, because things are not looking good for the Israelites. And so God's people survive, and the lineage continues. Uh, the story of Judah and Tamar, that's a scandal, but we don't have time to get into it. But his lineage almost ended. He had two son- he had three sons, two of them die without having kids. And then the third one, I don't know what's going on, but Tamar feels the need to take matters into her own hands and ends up um, being the one to bear Judah's um, son that continues the lineage of Jesus. And so, again, over and over, we see this creative grace um, that God is working amongst his people. Uh, when um, Salmon and Rahab come into the picture, right before that, the Israelites are, have been wandering in the desert for for 40 years, they've been wandering the desert. This idea of the promised land, it's there, but it's, it's looking gloomy. Um, but yet, here it is. Um, they've been, you know, their leader Moses has just died. Uh, but there's still this promise of, I'm going to enter this promised land. And Rahab ends up being the one, this foreign woman, ends up being the one to save the day, to help the Israelites get into the promised land. We keep going. You get to Boaz and Ruth. Another famine has hit the Israelites. And again, um, you know, Ruth, she's a Moabite. She has that whole story. They have to, she has to travel back to Israel. Um, The husband that she had died and the whole, that whole line dies. So Boaz ends up inadvertently becoming the one to continue the lineage of Jesus with Ruth. Um, And that, um... You know, that seemed almost impossible. Boaz was an older man. He says that to Ruth, like, oh, you could have gone after any of the younger men, but you chose me, an older man. So, again, uh, famine, uh, these creative grace stories. Uh, We get to David. Uh, now the Israelites are facing war so now not not only are they being threatened by famine at different times but now we're introducing also war into the picture the Philistine army that's where you get Goliath and he's threatening them and they're scared but David comes in he almost has to um he almost gets killed by Saul so all these things over and over again and it doesn't get really much better after that Northern Israel falls to, Is- to Assyria. Then you have Judah, who's captured uh, by Babylonia, and they ha- they are the Israelites are taken into exile. So hopeless situations over and over again. Hopefully you're getting the picture. <laughs> um, but evil kings, famines, war, all of that expose God's people and the lineage of Jesus to destruction and elimination. And as I think about that, and I think about the near impossibility of the survival of his lineage, I see hope. I see hope, and I see God's presence. Because all throughout, what I see is God was always there. Even when there was the Israelites were being threatened, God was there. He knew. He knew what was going to happen. And so it makes me think that God is always there. God is always present even through the dark times. God never abandoned his people. He never forgot his promises, not even to Abraham. And he never gave up on the Israelites. And what that reminds me that he he never lost hope.
0: Amen. Amen. And so we see again this God of hope. And the application then for us is that we serve, still have a relationship with this same God. The God of yesterday is the God of today and the God of the future. And if he's been a God of hope, then for his people, he's a God of hope for today, us, his people. And so we can have hope in the hope of God. That means there's hope for our faith. There's hope for this world. Many times we talk to people. I was talking to my neighbor. She's like, I just feel so bad about where this world is going. But because there's a God of hope who's present, there's hope for the world. There's hope for your faith. There's hope for your marriage. There's hope for your parents. There's hope for your kids. There's hope for that relative. There's hope for that challenge. It's in your life. There's hope for your finances. There's hope for your job. There's hope for your mental health despite what's going on. There's hope for that relationship. There's hope for maybe a potential dating or marriage relationship. There's hope for overcoming that sin that has had you in chains. There's hope for that addiction that you feel like you just can't break away from. There is hope because we serve a God of hope. He's been showing up from the beginning, from Abraham to Jesus, and he's been doing that for the last 2,000 years, and we can testify to that as well. You see how God is present, even when it seems like it's hopeless. In all those situations that Karina mentioned, I'm sure that at one point, like, man, there ain't no hope. Why should I try? But they kept one foot going, and God came through. And so we can apply that to our lives today in 2023. Can I get an amen, church? And so what does this call us to do? Well, I I believe it calls us to have at least two responses, and that's to worship and to persevere. Karina's going to share a little bit about what it means to worship in response to this God of hope.
1: Uh, When I think about this, everything that I talked about, the God of hope, I think it calls me to worship. That was the first thing that came to mind, because I think about how he's always moving and actively participating in our lives. And um, that's worthy of praise. Because I, in um, in my limited view, uh, I can just see problems. But God is bigger than that. And that's what I see. God is working in mysterious ways. God is uh, working creatively behind the scenes. And it also makes me think that he's so much bigger. Uh, he's so much bigger than this this small portion that I can see in my small life. Um, And so I worship. It makes me worship. It makes me reflect in my own life. But it also makes me uh, want to worship together because I think about, well, I don't know what God is doing in this person's life or that person's life or that person's life. And I want to know. I want to be there for the miracle. I I think about what he's doing with the next generation, with the kids that are in children's ministry that there's so much that I don't know that God could be doing, and the hope that he's offering through our kids, the hope that he's offering through the college students, um, the hope that he's offering through the, uh, the older generation as well, but I want to be around for the miracles. Um, I think about in the account of Matthew, we, you know, we're not reading that part, but I think about the Magi who traveled to Jerusalem because they heard of this hope. They heard oh, there's something special that's happening there. This Messiah that we've been waiting for is there, and they worshiped. It brought them to worship. Um, They wanted to come near to God. In Luke, we read that the shepherds heard about Jesus and that uh, they went to see Jesus, and it says they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. This, uh, This man, Simeon, he uh, got to hold Jesus. And he praised God and basically said he was ready to die. (laughs) I'm ready to die. I've seen Jesus. Uh, But this hope that God offered through Jesus compelled people to worship. And so I think about how hope should draw me nearer to God. And even when I don't fully grasp all that he's doing, that's what makes it even more special. That God is offering something greater than I can ask for or imagine. And that Generation after generation, he's offering this hope, and that brings me to worship.
0: Amen. Amen. As we think about worship, it leads to perseverance. That's a thought that came to mind for me. Is that okay? If I know God is a God of hope and he's present, and as I worship him, I go, let me hold on. I just need to hold on. Yes, it might be bleak. Yes, it might be rough. It might be tough. But if I just hold on... I'll see the promise fulfilled. In every situation, they were just hoping, and then God came through. All the way, he said, man, we want the Messiah. The Messiah was born, and now we wait and anticipate. When will the Messiah, what, return? And he will return. And so we need to hold on and take one step each day in the direction of the Lord. And so what does that mean? That means turning to God, surrendering to him so that, that hope could be fulfilled in our lives. Praying. We ought to start off with praying, but then getting help from each other. And if you're visiting or you're visiting online, well, we'd love to, to sit down with you and be able to show you this God of hope and how he can provide that hope with you today. You know, generations led, all these generations that are mentioned led to the hope being fulfilled in Christ, And again, we wait in anticipation for the hope to be fulfilled when Jesus returns. We're going to take communion right now. And I want to read this passage in Titus chapter 2. You know, God reveals hope in Jesus' birth and also in his death and in his resurrection. And it says, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much Again, for showing us that you are a God of hope. We see your hope displayed at Jesus' birth. We see your hope displayed in the resurrection. And we thank you that we have the hope of Jesus' return. God, we don't, I don't know where everybody is today, whether they're fired up in their faith or they're struggling. But God, I pray that we will worship you truthfully with our lives. That God, we will hold on to the truth and the faith that we have. And that we will persevere. Thank you for being a God who has hope in us as we see. God, that you not only have hope in you, but you have hope in us that we will respond to your call. And thank you for the display of love in Jesus. In his name, amen.